The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop tweaking your .NET remoting config file entries and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 111 with guests Richard Turner and Anand Rajakapalan, recorded live Friday, April 29th, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASPNet classes remotely online at www.franklins.net, and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASPNet web applications online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's signing a petition to have the answer to everything changed to 43, Carl Franklin. Thank you, thank you very much. Welcome, welcome one and all to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I'm your host in New London, Connecticut, out there on the East Coast, halfway between Boston and New York, Carl Franklin. And as always, my partner in crime out there in, well, I can't say as always, as always since show number 100, out there in (laughs) Vancouver, British Columbia, Richard Campbell. How are you, Richard? Well, I'm not in Vancouver, for starters. You're normally in Vancouver. I'm normally in Vancouver, but today I'm in Mississauga, Ontario. I'm going to be visiting Microsoft Canada uh, tomorrow, so I flew in tonight. That's sort of like the new... I was thinking, I'm halfway between New York and nothing in particular. (laughs) Mississauga here is sort of like the New Jersey of Canada. It's got got a very New Jersey-esque look. There's a highway kind of look to it. (laughs) What are you doing there? Um, well, this is sort of the uh, the RD summit where all the RDs get together for Canada, and there's a remarkable number of them, I think 11, uh-huh. and uh, we get a chance to look over uh, Microsoft Canada's plans and have some input into their budget for next year, that kind of thing. So uh, it's exciting stuff. We're really looking forward to it because you don't get an awful lot of chance to really get inside the beast there and uh, and talk about what we want to focus on and what directions to go in. But Canadian RDs are, are really tightly connected with MS Canada, and we work pretty hard in that respect. So is it basically like going to dinner and, you know, drinking and, or do you actually do something at this? That'll summit? be Friday night. But <laughs> uh, no, I think there's, there's a fairly serious agenda and a lot of folks to review some stuff. And huh. uh, yeah, we, we, there's a great deal of things to talk about. We do a lot of work in, uh, in Canada to uh, help developers. 
speaking of that, uh, this is sort of my last chance to plug uh, the last developer contest because the contest officially kicks off May 2nd. So unfortunately for Canadian developers only, an opportunity to uh, win up to $25,000, Canadian of course, uh, answering questions about .NET and you can find it at www.lastdeveloper.com. What's the significance of last developer? The last well, developer standing kind of thing? Or? Yeah, it's the last developer standing kind of thing. They, they keep answering questions every week. There are prizes each week, which are like Xboxes and things. And the last developer standing, the one who's got the most questions right after all the different series over the next few weeks, wins the big prize. Well, Richard, the big news this week, of course, is the 64-bit support in Windows is released to manufacturing. Uh, X64, and this means Windows Server 2003 64-bit and Windows XP Professional 64-bit are uh, have been released to manufacturing. Elvis has left the building. You know, I never really got to sit down with the beta and try it out on any hardware. I own a couple of 64-bit machines now, but they're just running regular 32-bit OSs. Well, that's the thing. I think we said in the in the the .NET Rocks we did on 64-bit, uh, it's very difficult to, because you have to totally devote a machine to this. I mean, it's not like a piece of software you can just install. You know, well, The problem, of course, is we're spoiled by VPCs these days yeah. where we could just throw anything we want into a VPC and we're fine. And a 64-bit OS just doesn't work like that. Right. So um, we got uh, some numbers here and some stats just in case you think 64-bit is something to consider only for the future. Check out some of the ways that 64-bit is already changing the way that Microsoft does business. MSN Search has built their entire search engine on several thousand systems running the x64 version of Windows. Microsoft.com has migrated their entire website, serving 13 million unique visitors every day to the x64 version of Windows. MSN Messenger, whose server farm monitors the online presence of 70 million users on average, is realizing a tenfold performance gain since migrating to the 64-bit versions of Windows. Microsoft Treasury has migrated their risk analysis simulations to X64, reducing query times by 67%. And more than 5,000 Microsoft employees are already running Windows XP Pro 64 edition on their business desktops for day-to-day work. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, if you had any doubts in terms of, you know, whether this is something that's safe to go to or or just, you know, to mess around with, uh, it's it's looking like it's working great. Well, somebody's out there eating the dog food, that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, we got some mail this week, and uh, got some cool mail too. Some cool mail. And before I read the cool mail, I have one more announcement. Uh, this is an announcement for the listeners of .NET Rocks that uh, Pwop Productions, the parent company, the mother company uh, of Franklin's Net, is. Uh, producing a podcast for Microsoft's Academic Alliance, MSDN Academic Alliance, called Main Function Audio to Go. Pat Phillips, who has herself been a computer science high school teacher for 20 years, is the host. And uh, you can pick that up at www.mainfunction.com. It's really a show for high school computer science teachers and students that are thinking about a, a career in computer science and or IT. And it's produced by yours truly. Myself and Jeff, and uh, you know, I wrote the music, and and it's pretty good. And it's also shorter; it's like a half an hour, but it's very .NET Rocks like in that you know she talks to people inside Microsoft and 
out in the field that are doing interesting things with programming. But the but the focus is really towards the uh, you know the stories you know for the students and, and resources for students and teachers. And it's a great show. I don't know about you, Carl, but I sure love going into schools and talking to kids about technology. Yeah, you know, you got to get the right kids. You got to you got to have kids that are interested in it. Um, back when I was in you know high school, uh, there weren't there weren't very many of us that were. But I guess you know there are a lot more now. I suppose. Yeah, they've all got machines now. Now it's just talking about what's possible. Uh, okay, on to the mail. So this was a great one. I was sort of debating whether I should read it or not, but it's just so full of enthusiasm, and he's a great guy. Jonas from Switzerland writes, Hey, guys, my name is Jonas, and I'm a developer from Switzerland. Just now I am working in a very interesting project to develop the digital archive for Swiss television. Neat. I'm listening to DNR for about a half a year now, and it's about time to tell you that I totally love the show. .NET Rocks is just a perfect way to stay up to date in the .NET world. The amount of valuable information that you present is just amazing, and even more amazing is the fact that the show is never dry or boring. At first, I was disappointed as you changed the format of the show, mainly because I missed the funny parts where Rory was absolutely brilliant. I was disappointed by the first episode of Mondays and thought it could not be a replacement for those funny parts in DNR. Recently, though, I listened to a new episode of Mondays and was extremely positively surprised Mondays become became killingly funny. The show changed totally the picture I had of the Americans. The non-political correct humor and the liberality that you extensively celebrate on the show is just ingenious. I had to laugh out so loud and hard that people in the bus to work thought me crazy. I also love the part of active Nick at the Super Bowl. So now after I've rediscovered Mondays, I like the new more serious format of .NET Rocks. It's better for not scaring the people on my way to work. <laughs> I <laughs> I even dare to claim that DNR and Mondays saved my mental sanity lately, even though the people in the bus might not think so. I had to do three weeks of military service, which we have to do this every year here in Switzerland, and I hate military service. For a nerd, there is nothing more boring, stupid, and senseless than just endless waiting and following stupid orders. But this year I had my secret weapon against the boredom. I was almost constantly listening to old DNR episodes on the marches, on the guard in the middle of the night in the cold forest, and even on the <laughs> rifle range. <laughs> Although I had to turn on the volume of my iPod to an unhealthy level there. That's awesome. The only fear I have now is that there are not enough old epi episodes left for my next military service. So that was enough rambling for me. Thanks for the amazing experience of DNR and Mondays, and may it last forever, Jonas. Uh, I think Jonas is getting a hoodie. Yeah, here comes a hoodie, buddy. Thanks a lot. <laughs> That's great. I love that email. <laughs> and uh, I, I just wonder how many people we cause to be stared at strangely on buses <laughs> on a given week. I, I don't know. Well, anyway. So we also got tons of emails about last week's show with Kimberly Tripp, didn't we? Kim Tripp. We can just summarize by saying, Richard, you want to summarize? Kim Tripp rocks. Do that again. Yeah, exactly. Have her back. <laughs> do it again. And we will do it again. No We question. will as soon as our brain starts stops hurting from last week. Uh, and then so, we, you know, we got a whole bunch of those emails. So that's the summary. Then Ben Sherman uh, Shearman, sorry, Ben, if I can't pronounce your name correctly, writes, Carl, 
First off, I'd like to say that I'm really digging the show lately. I learned something new from every show, and it's truly great. We even have the automatic BitTorrent downloads going directly into our file server at work and available to the wireless media player in our, quote, creative development bunker. <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm writing to plead to you to replace your old-ass laptop. Good God, we have heard you complain about it so many times. USB 1.0, get the net. Yes, you're <laughs> – Yes, your viewers do pity you, and we feel that you deserve a new laptop. Why don't you set up a PayPal donation link on DNR so that we may help you buy your most powerful laptop known to man? I'd donate $5 to the cause. All kidding aside, keep a – hey, that's a great idea. <laughs> you already <laughs> ordered the new laptop. That would be a little deceptive. No, I haven't ordered it yet, actually. I thought you ordered it. Uh, yeah, I was waiting for a check to clear that didn't come. So. Oh, uh, okay. So I'm – I. Actually, that that is possible. Is that legal to just say, "Here, I'm taking a donations for a new laptop"? Have you seen SaveToby.com? What? Have you seen SaveToby.com? SaveToby.com. I'm going there. Uh, it's more of a Monday's topic. Save uh, the bottom line is you can put up a PayPal site about just about anything, and people will send you money. Oh, my God, this guy's going to kill a rabbit if you don't pay for it. That's right. Is this Notice real? Notice the dollar amount down there. $28,372. That's right. If he doesn't get 50 grand by the end of the month, he's going to eat the bunny. <laughs> that is truly great. That is real. I, I swear these guys must be psych students. and This is actually a master's degree in action. Oh, man. Well, that's that. I guess I can do it then. <laughs> of course you can well, If they can do it, I certainly can, right? Well, anyway, uh, this is going to be a very interesting show, I'm sure We're going to go back to uh, Indigo There's so much to talk about in Indigo And uh, these two guys, Anand Rajagopalan and Richard Turner Are program managers for the Microsoft Distributed Systems Group Which is responsible for Indigo But is also responsible for ASMX, MSMQ, ComPlus, Enterprise Services, .NET Remoting, WYSI, Directory Systems, and DCOM. And there's probably some in there that I forgot. But, uh, of course, all, all roads lead to Indigo, and that's what they're here to talk about. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? Great, thanks. Both of you? Yep. All right. So uh, we have talked to uh, quite a few people about uh, Indigo and various levels. But uh, it isn't till this show that we're, we're actually going to start digging in and uh, asking some questions about implementation and things like that. From um, Indigo is all, all about SOA, about service-oriented architecture. And uh, have you guys seen – of course you have. But you know, there's a really excellent article and video that I saw up on the web from Pat Helland, uh, Metropolis, Envisioning the Service-Oriented Enterprise. Absolutely. And that is at uh, shrinkster.com slash 4ZD. And that's the video. And the article is at shrinkster.com slash 4ZE. And he basically compares uh, the rise of services, service center architecture, to the development of uh, the cities, cities in the 19th and 20th centuries. He compares them to the development of IT shops. Great article. Absolutely, no big fan of uh, big fan of Pat's. 
He uh, and let me just read from this uh, from this article. The, the the article starts out in this paper. We're going to explore how there are similarities between the evolution of cities in the 19th and 20th centuries and the development of IT shops. In both cases, we saw a gradual evolution of environments that developed in isolation. This independent development resulted in many differences of culture in how things were done. And in the 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 page for the video, the synopsis or the summary says. Cities emerge one building at a time, but with the right planning codes, the result can be more graceful and functional than anything one architect could conceive alone. Are services the Jerusalem stone of information technology, the facade that unites old and new to the benefit of all? What will an, organiza- what will an organizational technology portfolio look like in 10 years' time? How will advances in technology transform business and business processes? What are the key architectural patterns? What are the new limits? What do you set in motion today to anticipate the architecture of tomorrow? And uh, it's it's great metaphor. Absolutely. So you guys are obviously uh, you have your you know half your brain in the in the past and half your brain in the future. I can imagine that must be what it's like working on that team. Uh, you know, would retrofit kind of be a good word to describe, you know, what you guys are trying to do? I think from the perspective of, of our group and what we're trying to achieve, um, we really want to to start introducing a new model for developing distributed systems. Uh, distributed components that we've been using up until now, uh, by and large, to form distributed systems from, especially in the last 10, 15 years or so have essentially reached their limits of scalability in terms of their scalability to, uh, to their applicability to a given problem space. Yeah. Um, and what we're moving towards now is a realization that distributed components are and will continue to be incredibly powerful and incredibly valuable parts of or tools to use when constructing a distributed system, but they're not necessarily the best uh, technology or metaphor to use when building a heavily distributed system, in particular one where you need an awful lot of interoperability across heterogeneous environments. And one of the things that you see when you start moving down the path of of adopting a service-oriented mindset is that you end up taking different sets of assumptions, different sets of um, behaviors, on board when you design and you architect the systems. And when you implement those systems, you take far different uh, approaches to implementation, which result in far less coupling, uh, far more autonomy, and much, much better ability uh, at actually achieving the goals set out in the first place, rather than limiting yourself to the capabilities of the distributed technologies that you may, uh, may or may not have chosen to implement with. Yeah. Somehow I think this all comes back to DCOM ain't doing it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, it's not just decom. Though. I mean, it's the whole Java space as well. It's the Kuba space. You know, it's the whole distributed component object model. De- de- call it what you will, whether it's J2, whether it's Kuba, Com, or various other technologies. You know, these things only work so far. If you've ever tried gluing together a J2 system and a Com Plus system, for example, you'll know exactly what I mean when I talk about uh, the, the cost and pain of integration. Sure. Uh, when you take a service-oriented mindset, you don't basically assume that all platforms will be able to, uh, to, to communicate effectively with one another. And so you, you don't dumb down, but you take far less restrictive uh, viewpoint of the world 
and are then freed to actually communicate more freely. Well, I think it's a matter of simplification of, you know, for the developer. Absolutely. And, you know, many, many, pe- many people we've spoken to over the last few years have said, you know, isn't web services dumbing down uh, distributed systems? And quite frankly, it's not. You know, right now, um, we've got a bunch of standards baking through the standards bodies, uh, things like WS uh, reliable messaging, WS atomic sure. transactions and the like. We have various other standards in the process of baking, and by the, by the middle of next summer, we expect most of those standards to be baked through most of the standards bodies. So we should have a pretty good fabric upon which we can start building next-generation distributed systems. So right now, today, with what's been ratified so far, yes, you have a simpler story to tell. You have a simpler set of technologies to use. Um, you know, the, the, the existing distributed component fabrics that you may use from J2 or Complus, for example, supersede the capabilities of existing web service technologies. But by, we, by the time we get to next summer, we'll at least have the wire protocols defined, and then, then, then it'll be up to the platform vendors and technology vendors, ourselves, IBM, BEA, and everybody else yeah. uh, concerned to actually implement those protocols, whereupon we'll, we'll essentially reach equity with today's distributed technologies but we'll be reaching equity with protocols that are interoperable across different platforms. Hmm. You, you, I recently saw in on the web on some online magazine, I can't remember where, I should have written it down, but there was basically someone in the Java camp who was looking at Indigo and saying, guys, we need to simplify Java. Look at what these guys are doing. <laughs> yes, um, I've heard similar rumblings from various other sources as well. Um, it, it is a very interesting. It is a very interesting to contrast and compare the development of things like the Microsoft platform of technologies from DCOM and Complus upwards, in, uh, in particular, and compare and contrast that with uh, with J2, yeah, and the, the Java platform essentially. And you can you can see very very close mirrorings. You know, the implementations may be different, but the mirrorings in the order in which things were created and the time lag between certain business scenarios uh, forcing the, the, the platform vendor's hands into having to introduce new technologies and new features, and then seeing how each camp dealt with the problem. Uh, you know, Java, or the, sorry, let's, let's start with the Microsoft world. You know, yeah. we were very reactive. We were very um, proactive in many ways. We really responded as quickly as we could to customer demands. And we try to preempt some of those customer demands by looking far enough forward. Uh, if you look at the Java world, they're experiencing exact, exactly the same uh, level of proliferation that we experienced in our own platform. Yeah. You know, there's J2ME, there's J2SE, there's J2 this, right. that, and the other. There's JBI now with Java, Java Business Integrated being proposed, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And what we've done over the last couple of years, in particular with the introduction of .NET, is come to realize that we couldn't continue to proliferate our platform and still expect developers to be productive and IT pros productive in, in administering the stuff that was deployed. You know, it almost sounds like a – if you could relate this to the hardware world, it almost sounds like Macintosh versus the open IBM PC framework of the early 80s, you know, where you had – uh, you know, the Macintosh was able to innovate a lot faster because they controlled everything and they knew how to interoperate their uh, components together, whereas the PC took longer because you had, you know, the market forces sort of, uh, you know, working uh, a, a lot slower. But ultimately, you know what happened. I mean, the, the, the market 
really drove the PC into mainstream. But but you see a similarity there? I think there are some similarities, certainly. And in particular, when you, when you compare the PC and the, and the Mac, it's interesting to, to note that, for example, Macintosh or the Apple platform is now a very small, uh, in terms of market penetrations yeah. and quantities of units sold, you know, they kept everything closed and proprietary and controlled. Right. And they essentially throttled themselves right. to only be able to run as fast as Apple could run. Right. Whereas the rest of the industry, even though it took some time to, to reach the level of maturity that Apple, or the level of sophistication that Apple was able to achieve quite quickly, um, it essentially meant that they were able to do so in a very much more broadly adopted manner. Right. I guess it's a fine line you have to walk. You know, you, you have power from both scenarios. You have... Because at the same time, the J2E platform has sort of fragmented into all these various genres. They've gone in a lot of different directions in an effort to try and get more stuff. You have each of these vendors coming up with their own feature set to try and go further with the product that isn't growing fast enough for uh, what their customers want. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, you know, this is essentially, essentially, I think we've reached a point where we've crossed over, which is what didn't happen in the PC and Mac wars. Essentially, what's happened with Microsoft is we've come to realize, for example, that no one vendor can own an entire enterprise. Right. And in order for us to succeed in the future, and in order for us to be able to help customers deliver solutions far quicker, far more cheaply, and far more easily, we have to become a much more open player in the world. And that's essentially what drove us primarily towards creating Indigo was, A, the developer experience had to be improved significantly for developing distributed systems. And then secondly, what we built had to be interoperable with everything else or with as broad, broad, uh, with with broad an audience as possible. So, yeah, so the Java community in comparison has basically spent the last few years fighting us but also fighting each other. And each vendor is having to or is trying to implement uh, one, you know, a, a better version of another competitor's product in the Java space. Yeah, they're, yeah, constantly, they're constantly trying, trying to, to differentiate themselves from each other. From each other. Exactly. What is what about Spring? Does Spring uh, have any legs to do what you guys are trying to do with Indigo? The same same thing. Some people would say so. Some people would argue otherwise. Um, you you also, you know you, you you look at Spring, and then you also take a look at, for example, JBI, Java mm-hmm. Business Integrator stuff. Mm-hmm. And you look at who's behind these different things and who's on board with these different things. You know, JBI has Sun and Sonic software behind it, by and large. Uh, IBM recently fell off the, off the JBI wagon. Uh, they believe in a, in a different model. And I think it's going to be interesting to see over the next couple of years what happens in the Java space, because as, as Rich pointed out, I think they're going to get to a point, as we did a few years ago, where they realize they have proliferated to the point that Java has become, or the J2 platform has become incredibly complex. Whereas one of their biggest selling points in the old days was that it was much more consistent and much easier to work with. Hmm. Uh, speaking of interoperability, and maybe Anand, you can answer me this. Uh, interoperability between different parts of the existing .NET framework and Indigo is some, is some yeses and some nos. Yeah. Um, .NET remoting. So the, the, the key piece here is um, uh, to differentiate uh, between the two aspects of interoperability, the interoperability between Microsoft systems and other vendors, we, we, we call that term interoperability. Okay. And uh, the, the exchange of data or like the compatibility between uh, Microsoft systems, we call that term 
uh, integration. So it would be like integration between Dartnet Remoting and Indigo, and okay. interop between an uh, Indigo and a BEA system, so to speak. So, Fair enough. So, let, so, so let's let's call it integration for okay. a moment. Okay. Sure. So, so as 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 Richard was mentioning, uh, interoperability with other other vendor system is one of the key goals of uh, Indigo. And and the another another important piece of Indigo is to to uh, to improve the developer experience, right? That's where the integration piece comes into picture, right? So today you have several technologies uh, uh, to to solve different kinds of problems, right? So you have the COM plus COM decom. You right. have system net messaging to solve like uh, queuing problems. Yep. You have uh, for 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 security. You have like you need to use VZ and WS security. Uh, you have ASMX for web servers and so on and so forth. But each of these technologies solves some unique problem, right? So what the, what Indigo brings to the board is it, it, it brings all these technologies forward under one umbrella. So so customers don't don't have to sit down and think, okay, now I have these problems. So what are the technologies that I need to use to solve these problems? Do I need to use Dartnet remoting? Do I need to use ASMX? Do I need to use Complus? Do I need to host host do I need to write my own surrogate? Do I need to use system dot messaging? Do I need to you know, all these questions are there today for any right. customer, right? right? So going forward, uh, I would think, uh, I, I think Richard will also agree with me that so when, when they have to, when they have a distributed systems issue or a problem, they would think that they could solve with Indigo. So, so Indigo allows them to start start designing an SOA kind of uh, architecture and then you can slowly on top of your application you can start adding stuff like I can add I can make this app indigo application a queued application then I can add uh, reliable messaging to it I can mm. add transactions to it I can yeah. add security on top of it it's all layered yeah uh, instead of you having to go around and use different technologies inside your same application right so we have a great story in Indigo uh, as regards to integration with the existing systems because we know customers today have deployed out there uh, like their applications on top of Complus and MSMQ and so on and so forth. So we we don't we don't expect them to go okay. So tomorrow Indigo is. Uh, is, is is being released, so I'm going to replace, uh, rip and replace all my existing production systems built on top of Complus and MSMQ and replace it with Indigo. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen, right? right. So that is going to be a, situ- uh, a, a time where uh, we have uh, uh, a mix and match of uh, MSMQ, Complus, and Indigo applications in a production environment, right? Until 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 we can we could get our customers migrate all their existing applications off of these existing distributed stacks to Indigo, uh, we would, Indigo Indigo has to uh, live uh, smoothly with all these existing applications. So, if, for right. example, you could have an Indigo client app that is talking to a complex service, right? right? Or you could have an existing DCOM client that wants to send messages to a new Indigo service. Right. Or you could have a queue that is receiving messages from an MSMQ client, but you want to process messages off of the queue using an Indigo service and so on and so forth, right? So in Indigo, we have consciously made some significant, uh, made some important decisions uh, which allows customers to 
right new indigo applications take advantage of all these innovations interoperability web service standards and all this kind of stuff in indigo but yet they would be able to uh, integrate with their existing msmq com plus right. uh, uh, asmx apps without any problem right so let's start with uh, asmx so asmx sure. and uh, and vz3 so so asmx is going to be wire compatible with indigo right so if you have an existing asmx app Uh, yep. If you and, and it will be able to talk to a new Indigo service. It is wire compatible. No problem there. Okay. Right. So if you have a Vizi app, uh, if you have a Vizi 2.0 app, uh, Vizi 2.0 unfortunately is not wire compatible with Indigo, but Vizi 3.0, the next version of Vizi will be. So the, the 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 migration path there would be you would have to migrate to Vizi 3.0 and then you will be uh, you would be you would be wire compatible with Indigo. So yeah. I was just thinking along those lines is I've got some WSC stuff out there right now thinking, does Indigo ultimately subsume WSE? Microsoft's going to stop revving WSE and just going to rev Indigo for that? I think I think one of the key things with WYSI to understand and to remember is that even though WYSI is a fully supported product, which um, many of our competitors unfortunately do not honor with their particular uh, you know early release technologies, Wizzy is fully supported, so it's going to be around for years to come, and you can build your system and use it. But understand that Wizzy is a speedboat technology release vehicle, which gives you early implementations of the WS style standards as they bake through the standards process, right. or or not, as the case may be. Right, and we knew that going in. Yeah. Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the uh, the reports right into your application, shipping with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine, and you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. I also wanted to point out that at the MSDN FAC uh, on Indigo in at MSDN Indonesia of all places, um, which is a different FAC than the one that's uh, in Redmond, it's at shrinkster.com/4zb. Uh, you'll you'll see in the interoperability thing about Wizzy migrating Wizzy 1.0 and 2.0 code to Indigo may require a non-trivial development investment, and uh, you know we just want to make people aware of that.
Absolutely. And, it, and, you know, the recommendation has always been with WYSI to always try as best as possible to stay up to date with the WYSI releases. Right. As future versions of WYSI come along, plan to adopt them as soon as possible after release to ensure that the protocols that you're running on your network are as up-to-date as possible, and therefore you're achieving a better and a higher level of interoperability than, than right. you may experience otherwise. Okay. And Annan's point was that if we, stay, if we keep up and we get to WSE3, then when we do get Indigo, it's just going to drop right in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. WSE3 will be wire compatible with Indigo, yes. Now, I do also have projects out there that have queuing in it, and I don't think Indigo is going to replace queuing, but you're saying Indigo is going to be a replacement client for queuing? No, so so in okay, so there are two things when you when you think about queuing, there are two things, right? There's this infrastructure piece, right? So which is uh, today the Microsoft technology or Microsoft queuing infrastructure. Yeah, MSMQ, the the product per se. Right. So like customers have invested in this queuing infrastructure. So in Indigo, what we have is uh, we we are uh, we are releasing uh, two two channels in Indigo. Uh, for for queuing, one is called the Net Profile MSMQ channel or Net Profile MSMQ binding. What Net Profile MSMQ binding allows you to do is you can write an Indigo client and a service application that would that could use MSMQ as a transport. So you have an existing MSMQ transport. You write new Indigo client and service application. They can start talking over MSMQ transport. Okay, that's one thing. So another piece is you have. MSMQ infrastructure, and you have MSMQ applications today in your production environment, which uses, say, for example, there are several MSMQ APIs, right? The, the, the .NET API is system.messaging. So yeah. you are using system.messaging to send and receive messages from the queue, yeah. right? So right. now you want, you're looking at Indigo, and you want to build a new Indigo service, but you know for sure that you cannot replace both the client application, which is sending the message, and the service application, which is receiving the message at the same time. So you cannot replace all your MSMQ applications at the same time, but yet you want to replace them in parts. Say, for example, I want to replace my MSMQ service application to an Indigo app, okay. Indigo service, right? You could you could still do that. For that, we have we are shipping a, a channel in Indigo called as MSMQ integration binding, uh, using which an existing MSMQ application, which uses system.messaging or, or any of the MSMQ APIs, uh, to to send a message to a queue, which can be consumed by an Indigo service using this MSMQ integration binding, or an Indigo Indigo client application can send a message uh, to a queue, which can be consumed by an existing untouched uh, MSMQ application using one of the system.messaging API, so to speak, right? So th that's where we are with queuing. Okay. So we have very, very good... So, uh, to answer your question, yes, we are not replacing uh, the existing queuing strategy. Right. My, my basic engine is going to remain the same, and I can use all my existing code. That's fine. But I also can use the Indigo pieces as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And let me get back to uh, .NET remoting. Pretty much that's left in the dust, right? Well, and the, the point being that there's an awful lot of code out there written with .NET remoting. There is, absolutely. And remoting has been by far one of the most hotly deba debated subjects uh, it's, in fact, the reason that I started blogging a couple of years ago to answer these specific questions around interoperability with Indigo and, and remoting and the likes. Um, but it's worth understanding. Uh, the, the, the basic statement is that um, with .NET remoting endpoints, Indigo will not interoperate on the wire with .NET, uh, .NET remoting endpoints. And the reason behind this is that .NET is a tightly coupled uh, object remoting technology, essentially. 
And Indigo is primarily for building uh, distributed services. And these two concepts have, uh, oh, they, they, they tend to collide, and you end up with potential problems when trying to integrate the two. Yeah, they're very different from each other. They are, yeah. I mean, I mean really, in a lot of ways, .NET remoting is not all that different to, from the older protocols we used. Exactly. I mean, .NET remoting, I've, I've coined it before and I've said it before, but .NET remoting is essentially the last distributed object component technology. Yeah. It's DCOM.net. Yeah, DCOM.net, right. <laughs> very, very much. It's RPC, it's object remoting, it uses all of the semantics and the concepts that we've been used to with remote objects over the last few years. You know, you create an object at one end, you pass a reference to it to another endpoint, and that other endpoint can then access that object even across the network. Um, now, that has very powerful connotations, and, and it gives you, you know, .NET, .NET Remoting gives you a lot of power and a lot of capability. It lets you get in there and intercept what gets sent or received to or from the wire so that you can perform your own serialization, your own deserialization, you can build your own security infrastructures, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it gives you a lot of power and flexibility. But it's essentially a very low-level uh, remoting uh, uh, protocol, essentially. And it's still very much a .NET to .NET kind of protocol. Very, very much .NET to .NET. It was never, never, ever intended as being a the primary um, distributed component technology that one should use. That was essentially Complas, and it was also never built to be the interoperable communication protocol from Microsoft. Yeah. An interesting aside from this is that you can expose or you can have your, your remoting application, your remoting component communicate using SOAP on the wire, using the SOAP serializer. But there's the, the .NET remoting SOAP serializer uses RPC encoding, which is no longer the de facto standard for SOAP encoding with the world now moving to doc literal. Right. Right. If you, even if you built a, a you know, remoting service and exposed it using the SOAP uh, serializer, it still wouldn't be widely interoperable with the world at large, increasingly so moving forward, because the world is now speaking doc literal and RPC encoding is not compatible. Well, let me bring up a really good point. This is a good time to bring this up, that if you look at the code uh, in your remoted objects, is it's pretty much going to be similar to the code that uh, you would write with Indigo, isn't it? Because Indigo, in order to make an Indigo service, all you really have to do is uh, slap on a couple of attributes, right? And yep. uh, from the service model uh, namespace, and and you've got it. Where and you don't. In other words, you don't have to write any code specifically to support it, other than you know dealing with passing by value versus by reference. That kind it's of. It's almost stuff. a search and replace kind of changeover. Well, well, I, I th- or is I, it? This is, this I think is, there's a little bit of difference between. I don't think .NET remoting is that much attribute based. Uh, when you compare ASMX, no, but it would be very simple to to just decorate your your objects that you are remoting with some attributes to uh, turn them into uh, Indigo services, right? That, that's yeah, with, that's with .NET remoting in particular, it's worth understanding that if you're using .NET remoting in a very pure sense, in a very simple sense, and all you're doing is making calls against a remote service and passing data by value only then, yes, you'll have a relatively easy migration experience when upgrading your code from remoting today to Indigo tomorrow. But the problem here is, of course, that, that 
it exposes all that low-level stuff. So anybody who's taking advantage of that can get themselves in pretty deep trouble. And that's exactly why we're providing the guidance that we are. The, the remoting story gets much more complicated the lower, lower down the stack that you go and the more of the remoting features that you actually use. If you use custom lease management and you implement custom channels and sinks, then you're going to have to do a, a fair amount of work in order to replace that technology with Indigo because Indigo simply doesn't remote objects across the wire. When you, when you access a remote Indigo service and you call methods against it, even we can even simulate many of the, the notions that you've come to expect of, uh, of remote components in having sessions so that you can make multiple calls against the back-end service under the concept of, an, of a session. Um, you know, many of the things that you've previously done with remote components, we will still be honoring moving forward in terms of a conceptual perspective, from a, from a conceptual perspective. But when it comes down to the real physical nits and, uh, nitty-gritty nits and, uh, bits and bytes, then yes, you will probably have to do uh, some substantial work to code or to modify the code and upgrade the code from remoting to Indigo if you've used some of the lower-level semantics right. and some of the lower-level, more complex features of remoting. Like syncs, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah syncs, lease-based lifetime, right. all these kinds of that dotnet uh, remoting offers today. Um, there's a great resource at MSDN for showing how easy it is to write a simple service, proxy, and client at shrinkster.com 4ZF. And uh, in there, I found some really good code and found out really this is the first code I've seen. And they have both C-sharp and VBnet uh, versions of this. But they have this class called Math Service, which, uh, you know, not really a great service example, but that's not the point, right? Uh, a function that adds two numbers together, two integers, a function that subtracts one integer from another and one that multiplies, and essentially an import statement for system service model, the service contract attribute uh, on the class, and each method that is not part of the service con or that is part of the service contract, in other words, that needs to be uh, accessible as through the service, has an operation contract attribute on the methods. And then uh, to you need to make a proxy, which uh, you can do with a, a built-in tool, and I suppose you'll have Visual Studio uh, Wizardry to do that, yep. um, much like we do with web services today. And then you get this proxy. That, and the proxy, by the way, looks a lot cleaner than the goo in web services does. It can do. Uh, just the simple proxy stuff. If you're making a proxy against a complex service, it can get a bit hairy. But, uh, yeah, generally it, it's a bit cleaner. Okay. And then um, essentially calling it is just, you know, uh, creating a, an object and, and accessing it. Absolutely. Now, one of the important things to note, the object that you see there being created from the client perspective is suffixed with the word pro proxy, I believe? Yes, now that's one of the things that we were, we went round and round and round on this subject. And there were those amongst the team who believed that uh, we should make the developers write specific lines of code which um, where they explicitly request the creation of a proxy to a remote service compared yes. to, as you see there, create an object and use it. Right. And this is because in the days of, in the, in the days of COM+, 
and in particular, sorry, in, in days of DCOM and then in particular COM Plus, we essentially made object location transparent so that an application developer simply said, give me a new object, and it would use it. Yeah. And it really had no idea whether that object was on the machine or it was remote. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've all seen examples of applications whereby uh, a component might have 20, 30 properties and a couple of methods. And yeah. then when you deploy that, that component on a remote machine, every property read and write or every property get and set that you read or write to or from uh, involves a network hop. Yeah, round trip. And then people suddenly go, well, Complex is nasty because it doesn't perform well. Well, you can know, <laughs> run as fast as your network. So what we wanted to do with Indigo was to reduce the instances where developers ran into problems like this. It's more of a concept of intentional use. You know you're using this because you specifically asked for it. Right. Absolutely. And that's why when you generate the proxy using a service you tell, you generate the proxy to the remote service, we force the, the suffix of, of proxy onto the name of any given class that you might be able to access to make it explicit from the developer's perspective that they're That's not good. creating a local object, they are creating a proxy to a service. That's really, I really like that uh, that solution because it, it requires no extra effort, but yet at the same time, you know what you're using. It's explicit. That's good. Yeah. So I, I remember in one of my good old development days, uh, in, in VB, uh, if you say, if you if you declare a statement like dim, um, my object as new instead of saying uh, set obj equal to create object or, or uh, you, if you say if you declare dim obj as new and, and if you have a, if you are trying to instantiate a com comp and it completely bypasses uh, com and then creates an instance of the object if that if that class is within the same project so th there have been instances where you could get tricked pretty easily and yeah there are some big black boxes. As, as Richard mentioned, we are trying to avoid all those things and say, be explicit about what exactly uh, the, we are trying to do. I mean, the only the upside of that approach, the old approach where it was invisible to you, is that there was really no barrier to entry, or so you thought. You got into this technology and you didn't have to change a single line of code. You could hop over to remoting. Then you found out, hey, it sucks. Right. You really do have to handle yourself properly. Yeah. Get rid of those properties, marshal effectively, yeah. those kinds of things. And I guess we're at the point now where we're all recognizing that remoting is something you don't want to do casually, right. that it's worthwhile to be explicit about it. Exactly. And, and quite honestly, I would say that when building a distributed system, you don't want to be casual about it full stop ever. Yeah, I would agree. But American speak period. <laughs> but as you as you guys have just as you as you guys have just uh, exemplified, every little place that you can make it easier for the developer to do their job, you know, you're not taking away the explicitness, but you are simplifying it. You you are making the developer's job easier. And frankly, that's why I'm here today. That's why I use your Microsoft products. That's why I'm a Microsoft guy. You make the best developer tools well that's what we hope to be to, to achieve and only time will tell i guess is something as new as indigo but the feedback that we've had so far from a number of events that we've run uh here in redmond and elsewhere also where we have customers pounding on the bits for days at a time and then going back to the office and then starting to play with it in earnest within their development groups is by and large you know overwhelmingly positive 
with people saying, yeah, you know, fine. So I've had to sit and think for a couple of hours before actually beginning the project. That's not a bad thing. Exactly. And once we've thought about it and once we've designed it and once we've got a basic architecture together, putting this stuff together in Indigo is an order of magnitude easier than it was in previous technology. And the things you want to think about is your architecture, not about the details of how do I semantically, you know, do this or that. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we've, we've had many, many discussions with people saying, you know, how should I design my services and so on? And it essentially comes down to basic principles. Lay down the logical diagram of all of your, of the services within your system. Draw the lines between them where, where systems need to communicate. Identify on each of those lines which transports and protocols you need to use, whether or not you need to have security, whether or not you need to have reliability or queuing. And to define between each of those services the data contract and the service contract that each end is going to require. Yeah. And if you do that at the very beginning, you know, you don't have to do it to the nth degree necessarily even to, be, to just to get started. Yeah. But if you have an idea what information is being exchanged over the wire, how much data is being exchanged over the wire, how many operations are going to be, uh, you know, how many operations you're going to have to call in order to get something done, then you have a number of round trips, you have the amount of data you're passing on the wire, you can do back-of-the-envelope calculations very, very quickly to, yeah. to get you know, a fairly close approximation as to what kind of performance levels you're going to get. You know, we did all this in DCOM on whiteboards once we figured out that we had to to actually make it perform well. Right. Now we've finally got a, an environment that's sort of explicitly saying, you better do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have a couple of questions from the chat room, one from Chris Woodruff from Lexington, Kentucky, and he says, one, will there be some limited support for compact framework? And two, will, will there be a push to provide a best patterns and practices uh, when working with Indigo? So with regards to the compact framework, after we've shipped V1 of Indigo, we will be t- taking a serious look at what it would take to get Indigo into the compact framework. Awesome. We have already been speaking with the devices and compact framework teams. They're aware of what we're doing. We've, they've seen our bits. They've seen our code. Um, you know, they, they, they're not going to be hit blindsided by this thing. So I know what it'll take. They're aware of it. Yeah, I know what it'll take. It'll take one gigahertz processors. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, it's a, it's a handheld PC that burns your hand. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you a question then, Rich. Give me an estimation of how big you think Indigo is on disk when it's deployed. Oh, 250K. 250K. Let's be realistic. No way. (laughs) All right, tell me, how big is it? So at the moment, the current builds are coming in about 5 meg. Wow, that is small. Yeah? Sure it is. Just some kind of idea. If you compare the amount of disk space taken up by Complus, MSMQ, Azimax, Remoting, and goodness knows what else, they, they total up to around, the, I guess, the close to about 200 meg mark. Sure. And yet Indigo supersedes all of the capabilities of all of those stacks combined. Yeah. And, so and how big is it? To, five megs. Five MB. Wow. Yeah, the, the current build's about five meg. You can, well, it really means there's no reason you couldn't put it into a compact device at all. Hmm. So there, there should be relatively few barriers as to why we, we won't be able to put Indigo onto compact devices. We have plans to start working on this after we've shipped V1, uh, and you'll see, you, you may or may not see that appear after we've shipped V1. Hmm. Okay? So that's the compact framework. Okay. 
The other question was what, sorry? Patterns and practices. Is there going to be a big push for best practices and patterns with Indigo? Absolutely. Okay. So that's yeah, an easy one. That's an easy one. You knew there was going to be best practices and patterns and all that stuff. Of course. Stuff. Absolutely. We are already working with the PAC team to Great. come up. Uh, yeah, Richard, Richard knows all the details. He's the guy. Great. For all the patterns we, we, and best practices stuff. We're doing a lot of work with the PAG team right now. Uh, they're, they're creating some fairly substantial sample applications uh, to demonstrate how to use Indigo in practically every uh, scenario that we can imagine, quite honestly. Have you had some TAP-type partners involved as well? We have a number of partners involved in a variety of activities, everything from creating labs, creating training courses, creating white papers, creating collateral, creating all kinds of things. I'm just yeah, thinking, we, we is there some tap customers already? There's some, yeah, some tap customers. You got some indigo code out in, in the field in secret, essentially. Um, it's not so much a secret, actually. It's, it's, it's less of a secret as time goes by. Right. Yes, we have a we have a, a long list of customers who have already engaged with us. We've run two large events in Redmond where we've had about 120 customers at each event, um, where we spend basically three days scuba gear required uh, in depth in exploration through indigo. Uh, with many of the Indigo team members hanging around to lend a hand. So they've been very successful, and they're a, they're a great event to attend. Um, we'll, be, we'll be broadening out access to this collateral, to the training materials, and so on and so on as we move forward as well. Well, and that's the whole point with the TAP program, is get it out in the field and then mm. bring the best practices back from that. Yeah, exactly. So you, you guys are aware about the CTP drop that we did. Uh, when did we do it, Rich? Like a March. month ago, I guess. Yeah, March. Last year, yeah. There was a CTB drop of Indigo. So it's already in the hands of customers out there in the wild. Yeah. What Do you what do you guys think you'll ever see uh, any kind of peer-to-peer technology in Indigo? Absolutely. You want to elaborate on that? Uh, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> V2 at least. How's that? Indigo is, the beauty of Indigo is that it's not just enterprise technology. Indigo is a ubiquitous communication platform that you can use to build practically any form of communication software you can think of. You can plug your own transports, your own serializers, your own security engines, your own whatever you like into the stack, quite frankly, uh, if you want to go and build that. Nice. We, uh, we know that Indigo is, um, is, is, a, is a feasible technology and a very valuable technology to use when building peer-to-peer applications because we built some in, uh, you know, as test rigs for our own code. Um, and, and yes, we do know some people that are doing some peer-to-peer work, but some of that information will come out as we move forward. So um, I, I have a question. Maybe you could take off your Microsoft hat and, and just tell me, or maybe keep it, I don't know, but tell me, what do you think of BitTorrent? And I know you, pro- you probably think of it as a technology, but... Do you think BitTorrent has legs for, uh, you know, for, for being the dominant peer-to-peer technology? Um, I think, to be honest, it could be. But then again, so could many others. Yeah. BitTorrent plugins for Indigo sounds cool. Um, uh, buddy Lindsay uh, from Tulsa, Oklahoma asks, you are making it easier, you being Microsoft, I guess, are making it easier for developers to do the development. What was the hardest part about making things functional yet easy to use? Give me a story. <laughs> Tell us your pain. One of the things about the Indigo team is that we have a higher percentage. I think the numbers are that we have a higher percentage of architects per head of the team than any group outside of the Windows kernel. Wow. 
Yeah, and, and rumor has it as soon as soon as the number of architects rises above one, there's trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, it takes a little bit more time to churn code out. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. So it it does take us time to argue all of the arguments, and there are a lot of incredibly intelligent people. You know, I'm, I'm sitting right down the low end of the stack here, and there are people above me who I just sit in awe of, quite frankly. There are some incredibly bright people who have an enormous wealth of experience when building all manner of systems, but most predominantly, obviously, distributed and communication-type systems uh, within the team. And yeah. each of them have their own opinion. Each of them will voice it, come what may. Yeah. And each of them will then debate things. I think there's a story there somewhere. Oh, that we could write reams about this. <laughs> but, uh, but basically what this means is that you therefore end up with some exceptionally bright people all arguing for, you know, what is the best approach to do X. They're not, they're not trying to carry out personal vendettas and things. They're all essentially focused on trying to deliver absolutely the best product which gives developers the power that they need with the flexibility and simplicity that they need without giving them too many bullets to shoot their own feet off. Right. Which, you know, is a basic hallmark of Microsoft technology. You've got to be able to shoot yourself. Right. You know, you haven't <laughs> lived until you've multiplied a couple of pointers together. Absolutely. <laughs> you can tell I was hanging around with Kate Gregory this past week, the C++ programmer. Absolutely. You know, if you can't make a mess of a pointer, you ain't really programming. Absolutely agree with you, which is why C-sharp such a beautiful language and still being able to do pointer arithmetic. Yes. Oh, come on. You guys aren't planning to migrate the, the websites at Microsoft to C++ ASP? <laughs> you should come. <laughs> I also want to add is, like, throughout the process, we also made uh, very conscious decisions about what kind of technologies we will carry forward and what kind of technologies we will not. Some yeah. of them are very painful decisions, like, for example, .NET, as to .NET remoting. And as uh, we mentioned, there's, like, loosely coupled events in Complus and then MSMQ's yeah. uh, PGM protocol. So it was, like, it was a slow but very, very uh, conscious decisions and like as Rich was mentioning, we have we have a lot of wonderful, uh, deep technical people on on board in our team, mm. and there was like long, long discussions about all these things. In each and every step, we the, the most important things that we kept in mind was uh, how am I how are we going to uh, help our existing customers who are deployed out there on all these existing stacks uh, be able to easily migrate to Indigo. And we, we know for sure that there is going to be times when they have new Indigo applications and existing uh, MSMQ and Compass applications. How are we going to bring all those customers into the Indigo world without having to demolish what they have today? Right. You know? So the, the experience to, to make the experience smooth and easy for them. Yeah. As much as possible. I mean, that's always been a hallmark of Microsoft stuff, at least until .NET came along. Yeah, let's let's face it. We still ship net net DDE inside the OS. Yeah. Oh, ooh, uh, ooh. ouch! One thing I just wanted to raise very quickly um, on the discussion around remoting and uh, uh, and the and the concerns that customers may have and the users may have around whether or not remoting will continue to be supported. Then absolutely, remoting will be continue to be supported. Yeah. All of Microsoft technologies have a 5 plus, or most of Microsoft technologies have a 5 plus 5 support policy. Yeah, Microsoft Bob didn't. In previous release, they get five years of standard support plus five years extended. Microsoft Bob got five years in the slammer. 
<laughs> and rightfully so. I, I have to be my machine. <laughs> I think um, the other caveat to that five thing is that at least five people have to use it. Oh. <laughs> so what are you insinuating? No, let's no, 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 no. I was talking about Bob, man. <laughs> I use it at least once a week, if not, if not for nothing else, for a uh, uh, fun factor. Yeah. Um, but with, with things like remoting in particular, don't assume that because we say that Indigo won't interoperate with it, that remoting is being removed from the platform. It right. is not. Nothing gets removed. This is one of the first blog posts I ever published, basically because we got so much feedback after PDC in 2003 with people saying, oh, my God, is remoting being removed from the platform? Yeah. No, it's not. Remoting will be there for some time to come. In fact, remoting in Frameworks 2.0, which ships later this year, uh, has had something of, a, of, a, of an update yeah. in that we now support wire-level security, which we oh, didn't good. before. Cool. Uh, so remoting will be updated in Frameworks 2.0, ship, next year, uh, sorry, ship later this year. It'll be around for years and years and years to come, so you can use it if you want to. All we're saying with remoting is that Indigo won't interoperate with it by default off the out of the box, if you want to write your own remoting transport, then go ahead and have a go. Um, but if you, you know, we, we recommend taking different approaches to building distributed and uh, communicative systems uh, than using remote objects, which remoting is primarily geared for. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> I would like to add a, uh, ask a leading question to Richard Turner. So, so Richard, so I have, I'm a customer, I want to build new applications, right? and I want to deploy it in production, what technology should I use? Like, should I use .NET Remoting? Should I use web services, ASMX web services? What should I be using today? Good grief. And I think the, I think the, the audience is going to think that we've maybe prepared this. I know. This is uh, pretty cheesy, guys. <laughs> you can tell why we're not DJs for life. So, no, this, this, so, yeah. no. Why but you know what? It is a valid question. I, I hear this question over yeah. and over again. It's a great question. Customers have this concern. I just want to make sure that we address this concern. Because yeah. even today, I was on a conference call with a customer in India who was like a big retail store, and they are coming up with all these distributed uh, applications. They have to come up with a distributed yeah. architecture, and they're asking this exact same question. Should I, use, should I be using .NET Remoting today? Should I be using web services? Should I be waiting for Indigo and not do anything today? You know, the not not doing anything is not an option, I guess, right? So uh, Richard is, uh, has a very nice guidance. I, I don't know if you guys have seen his blog about all these things. So I, I just wanted to have this leading questions because I know a lot of uh, people out there, customers out there, have, they have this in their mind. Absolutely. And the, the answer to this question is, you know, it's, it's fairly easy to synthesize yourself, quite honestly. Uh, if you're going to build interoperable services, the best thing to use today is Asmax. And obviously, with our move towards service orientation, Asmx, because it's relatively simple but still fairly powerful, um, has a very close mapping with uh, the notions of service orientation and will prov prove to be a great platform to use in order to achieve wire-level interop with Indigo whilst also having a very smooth code upgrade path because when migrating Asmx code in particular, it'll largely be a rename a bunch of attributes uh, modify some import statements and make a couple of very minor code corrections, and then you'll be ready to go as Indigo services. So build your services using .NET code. Expose your services using Asmx is a very wise uh, choice. Okay, before we go, I really we really have to wrap up here, but I got a couple of questions. First of all, when can we see the next bits? 
So the next indigo bits? Yeah. So we have CTP out there now. The next indigo bits will be shipping this summer with the WinFX SDK Beta 1. Ooh, nice. Okay, is that is that going to be a Beta 2 WIDBY thing? or This will be built on WIDBY Beta 2, yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. And finally, I'd like you to definitely take off your Microsoft hats for this question. Just as one nerd to another, or two nerds to two nerds, uh, what is the coolest thing you've downloaded lately? <laughs> and I don't want to hear MSN Toolbar. I know that's cool. I mean, out out there in the big wide world. Um, how about the ATI graphics driver for my 64-bit laptop? That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> The Acer Ferrari 3400 64-bit laptop running Windows XP 64. Ouch. So you're one of the dog food eaters, are you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Awesome machine. Really great, great stuff. Is the 32-bit stuff just as fast as the as a 32-bit XP? So is the, is the 64-bit stuff, you mean? No, no. I mean, can you when you're running 32-bit software... On your 64-bit XP, is does it run just as fast? Oh, absolutely, it? yeah. I mean, you know, there, there may, under benchmark conditions, be performance differentials. I'm not sure what those would be. Um, but quite honestly, running Office, running Word, running Visual Studio, you know, running the majority of 32-bit applications on top of uh, XP64 on top of the 64-bit laptop is is very, very smooth, very snappy. No problems there whatsoever. So you have like 100 gigs of RAM in that thing? No. (laughs) What do you mean actually run two VPCs? Yeah. (laughs) Actually, the VPC thing is the one thing we're waiting for. Oh, you haven't got a 64-bit version of VPC? Yeah, we're waiting for 64-bit VPC. You know, that would zip me to buy a new laptop. Absolutely. The number of VPCs I have to run, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So if you want to use it as a 32-bit machine, I have another guy on the team who has the same thing, has the same laptop, and I think he's got a gig and a half in his machine, and he was saying that running two, VB, two VPCs simultaneously is a breeze on this thing. Nice. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Um, Anand, Anand, did we get your uh, cool download? No, actually, I've been busy uh, getting all them uh, Indigo, uh, working on the, to ship Indigo this summer for Beta 1. Okay. I've not been able to download anything significant of, of late. Okay, fair enough. All work and no play makes an under- Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you should, that's the truth. You should download a beer from the fridge is what you should do, I think. <laughs> no, that's what I'm going to do after I hang up. All right, guys. Well, you got any last-minute words of wisdom to impart on our listeners? Go download Indigo Play and let us know what you think. Give us yeah. the feedback. Use the news groups. Use the feedback mechanisms. We'd love to know what you feel because this is an incredibly important thing for us, and uh, we'd love to love to hear of your experiences. And listen to Franklin.net. Yeah. Dr. Drax. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Well, guys, listen, on behalf of myself and Richard out in uh, Canada and Jeff Maciolik in the sound room, all the listeners in the chat room, and all the wider listeners who download this podcast week after week, I'd like to thank you for coming on .NET Rocks and talking about Indigo. It sounds like great stuff. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And uh, you guys just keep doing what you do. 
We love you. Thanks for your opportunity to talk. All right, bye bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.